Hey, it's so great to see so many friendly faces. It's just, this is like the highlight of my week. I mean, when I became a Seventh-day Adventist, I never knew that Sabbath was missing in my life until I started Sabbathing. All right, we're going to use it and turn it into a verb. All right? I mean, it's something that I've kind of been monitoring over the years because uh, I, try to, I try to read as much as possible, and there are a lot of authors that have taken the time of quarantine and uh, just COVID in general, and they've started to direct their congregants or their friends of the faith, their brothers and sisters, to this deep uh, spiritual experience that they call Sabbath. And they're, they're saying that now's an opportunity. I mean, maybe you, uh, maybe you have some personalities that you follow on social media or you have some friends, and, and they took... Uh, COVID and kind of quarantine to learn a new language or to pick up a new hobby like gardening. Um, I started that in my mind and then realized the process and just gave up before I began. Um, you know, maybe they wanted, they made a reading list or they said, hey, we're going to get better at golf. And so they, you know, they made a schedule and they started practicing and then they just, you know, just didn't get to it. Maybe they did, right? But some people have started to really push this biblical teaching called Sabbath because there's something to it, right? There's, it makes no sense other than the fact that it's brilliant, because we come together at the perfect time. It never takes vacation, doesn't call in sick, doesn't show up late an hour. It's just right what you need at the end of every week, coming together and to be spiritually and physically renewed. And so if this is your first time joining us, we're glad you're here. If you're tuning in online, we're glad you're here. This church exists really to uplift Christ. That is our prayer. And so today, as we dive into our sermon series, Faces of Grace, looking at uh, individuals in the Bible who are not unlike you and I, my prayer is that we would leave here spiritually renewed and physically refreshed. So would you just join me in prayer? Father, we just ask, we've, we've, we've worshipped you. Lord, we thank you for every member of this church that is here uh, presently and that is tuning in online. Lord, we need you. We need you every day. And so we just ask that you would continue to guide us deeper into your love and that you would do that now as we open up your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. We're going to be turning in our Bibles. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 10. And we're going to be looking at this man. His name is Bartimaeus. He is a blind beggar. So blind beggar Bartimaeus. If he was a wrestler, he would have had the best catch name ever, Triple B. He would have just, you know, maybe that was his nickname. Blind beggar Bartimaeus. Uh, but in order for us to kind of understand why uh, the Gospel of Mark includes this story in the narrative of Jesus, we need to get some context. See, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and he knows that once he gets to Jerusalem, he's going to be turned over, he's going to be scourged, he's going to be mocked, he's going to be spit on, he's going to be crucified, and then he's going to rise again. And so he knows that that is his trajectory. That's where the GPS is taking him. His father's will is taking him to Jerusalem. But he's stopping through the city of Jericho. 
But before they, he comes to Jericho, he's kind of out in front of his disciples, and his disciples are kind of behind him because they're hearing him talk about how he's going to go and become crucified. And so they're kind of, you know, discussing it back, you know, what does this mean? Oh, you know, it's kind of crazy that he speaks with such authority, but, but he's so peaceful, but yet he's talking about being killed. But, but his, his face is not one of mental anguish, so they're, they're kind of trying to figure out what, who this man is that they're following. But then these two disciples, oh man, gotta love them. James and John come up to him and they say, Jesus, we would like you to do whatever we ask for us. I mean, that kind of sounds like a genie, right? You ever get asked that question? Hey, if you had three wishes, what would you wish for? And you said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna break the system. I'm gonna ask for unlimited wishes because, you know, you said, I have three, I only need one. Just give me unlimited, right? But Jesus is not a genie. And so James and John, are they, they've come up to Jesus. They say, Jesus, we want you to do whatever you want for us. And Jesus' response is, what do you want me to do for you? We're going to come back to that phrase. What do you want me to do for you? But Jesus continues on, and he enters into Jericho. Now, Jericho was about 15 and a half miles from Jerusalem. So I don't know how far your commute was to church, or how far your commute is to your job. I know some of us work in Midtown. Some of us live out in Canton or Woodstock. Um, just this week, I was visiting some of our church members uh, out in Canton and Woodstock to uh, just fellowship and, and pray together, and it was uh, an enriching experience. Um, but I used to live in Dunwoody and drive to Marietta, and it was 20 miles every day, one way. That's more than 15 and a half. I mean, on your commute to work this week, if you're going into the office, or on your commute home from church, it might be more than 15 and a half miles, or it might be around that time. That's how far Jesus was away from the place of his death. Could you imagine being 15 and a half miles away from the place that you know you're about to be betrayed in by one of your dearest friends? You're going to have a crown of thorns placed on your head. You're going to be beaten and lashed and spit upon like that's the place of your humiliation and it's that close man and yet Jesus is doing what Jesus does he's come to Jericho and picking up in verse 46 Mark chapter 10 verse 46 I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible it says then they came to Jericho and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd a blind beggar named Bartimaeus the son of Timaeus was sitting by the road. Now Jericho had kind of like a north side and a south side. And Jericho was east of Jerusalem. And so it had two kind of uh, cities within the city. And so Jesus is leaving one section and going into the other section. And he has a large crowd uh, following him. And there's a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, um, who is sitting by the road. Verse 47, when he heard that it was Jesus, the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him here. So they called the blind man saying to him, take courage, stand up. He is calling for you. Now I'm not blind. 
Um, I, I've sat in classes or, you know, social experiments where they have you close your eyes. In fact, I was led through a maze one time when, when someone was trying to give me directions and the person that was trying to give me directions did not know how to convey directions. And so I was constantly bumping into so many things and, and then I'm, you know, trying to, trying to tell them, I'm going to open my eyes because you're leading me astray here and this, I might get injured, right? You, you know, maybe you've had that similar experience, but I can see. Bartimaeus, he's, he's blind. So where would, as a blind man, where would you station yourself? Because in Jewish culture, if you were blind, you were not fit to be a priest. If, a, if there was a lamb sacrifice in the temple and it was blind, that was a blemish. So you couldn't even present a blind sacrifice. So you were really marginalized. Um, it, it, it wasn't as bad as being lame in Jewish thought, but it was, I mean, you were... You needed somebody else to take care of you. And so he's sitting there. Where do you think he would station himself? Probably where if, if I was a, a blind beggar, I'd probably place myself next to where there's an exchange of money, right? So you can get some extra coins, maybe, as you hear the changing that's happening because you can hear the money transaction. So you can't be lied to because you heard it, right? No, no, no. There was no credit card machine to where you had to pay attention to hear a beep or, you know, the insert of a card. No, you would hear the changing, the bags of coins, and so maybe you're sitting near, but how does Bartimaeus come to the conclusion to give Jesus the title Son of David? Because that title is a title fit for a king. Bartimaeus is telling everyone that he believes Jesus is the promised king from the line of David, the one who's going to come and deliver, his, deliver the people and bring in this utopian Israelite society where the kingdom is perfect, there's no sickness, no illness, no death, no famine, no oppression, no wickedness. Hey, doesn't that sound like heaven? Man, what a place to long for. And so where does he get this notion that Jesus is the son of David? Well, maybe he has heard about Jesus because he certainly couldn't see. So he couldn't see Jesus do anything he would have had to have heard about Jesus. There's a book. I read it probably once every three months. It's my favorite book outside of the Bible. It's by this wonderful author. Her name's Ellen White. She writes this in Steps to Christ. It's like the first paragraph talking about God is love. She says, look at the wonderful and beautiful things of nature. Look at them. Think of their marvelous adaptation to the needs and happiness not only of man, but of all living creatures, the sunshine and the rain that gladden and refresh the earth, the hills and the seas and plains all speak to us of the Creator's love. She says, look. Bartimaeus can't look. He doesn't have that affordability. So he doesn't get to see the sunset and think, man, what a beautiful painting. He doesn't get to see the colorful birds. He doesn't get to, to see nature. He's blind. So how would he come to the conclusion to give Jesus this title, Son of David? You are the Messiah. Well, chances are, my theory, and I think this would happen, Jesus has a large crowd that's following him. So people have heard of Jesus. There are many people today who have heard of Jesus. But their notion of who Jesus really is is misconstrued. Bartimaeus heard something about Jesus to perk his ears, because Jesus healed a man born blind. Nobody had ever seen that. Nobody ever heard any account of a man healing another man born blind. 
And so Bartimaeus, could you imagine you've, you've been blind maybe for 25 years? Who knows? The only time you can, you can tell when it's a difference in day because you know when the sun rises because it hits your face, but you sit in darkness. You sit in darkness. Every day after day, you're in darkness. And now you hear of a man who has just healed another man born blind. I want to be able to, to, to sit still. I would start to be like, well, what is wait a second. What happens if he comes near me? What happens if, if I hear of this Jesus? And as time goes on, he's probably retold that story in his mind because it's the only hope he has of having healing to the point where now he hears of this crowd and he hears that it's Jesus and so he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 48. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. On me. See, Bartimaeus' faith is what really it says in Romans 10. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. He heard about Jesus and it placed in him this faith that Jesus could heal him to the point where even the crowd telling him, hey, be quiet. No, 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 no. Stop, stop. You're, you're a blind beggar, Bartimaeus. All right? You're, you're, you need to be helped in all areas of life. Okay? Jesus, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got a crowd following him, but he's busy. He's a rabbi. He's performing miracles. Don't bother him. But Bartimaeus knows his condition is so serious that he's, it doesn't matter what anyone else has to say to him about Jesus. He is getting to Jesus. He is going to persevere because Jesus is his only hope. And so in verse 49, Jesus does something that I think just captures the essence of Jesus' love. It says, and Jesus stopped. You ever run into somebody famous to try to maybe just say hi? I remember uh, being in the Detroit airport, and there is this hockey player that is of well note. His name's Chris Chelios. He was an American-born hockey player. He played forever. I think he was vegetarian or something, because there was no way you were playing that long without having good health practices. And so he's like 52, still playing in the NHL, and we run into him, and I'm just like, Chris Chelios, like I'm just the obnoxious guy, right? I'm yelling as loud as possible, because I want to get his attention. I don't care what anyone else has to say, TSA agents, they could restrain me by all means. This is, this is a real deal, right? Man, I'm sorry, Chris, if you ever watched this, but he didn't even acknowledge me. But why would I expect him to? Who am I? I'm no one. He is a professional athlete. Why, why would I, what was I expecting? Was I expecting him to just stop and be like, dude, Luke, how's it going, man? Uh, you know, like, oh, dude, hey, let me go call someone to bring you some, you know, like, what was I expecting, right? I, why would I think that he would stop? But Jesus, I mean, he's got a large crowd following him. And here is Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And what does he do? He stops. That's Jesus. He, he will not hurry on past you. No, he will value you at whatever condition you are in. He will stop to engage with you because that's Jesus. And so he stops and called him here. So they called the blind man saying, take him, or saying to him, take courage, stand up, he is calling for you. Man, oh, how the crowd has changed because of Jesus. This is the same crowd that was saying, Bartimaeus, you're an outcast. No, 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 no. You're not one of us. But now, because of Jesus, he's on the in crowd. 
Because Jesus creates a new community. He creates a different community. The church is the only organism where you can have a PhD learning from a 16-year-old how to follow Jesus. It's the only organism in the world. It's the only structure in the world where you could earn 10 times the amount of your spiritual mentor. Because in the church, it's a different community. And so now, because of Jesus, Bartimaeus is on the inside. And so he takes courage. But notice in verse 50 what he does. It says, throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. His response was, I'm not, no, 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 this is my shot. I'm getting up. He's calling me. I'm not, I'm not, oh, oh you know, okay, okay, Jesus, I'm so sorry that you now are. No, 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 he's, he tossed away his cloak. He, he tossed away what signified that he was a beggar because his belief was that Jesus was going to do something to renew him. He hasn't even started the conversation with Jesus yet, and yet his belief is still, Jesus is going to change me. I don't need this anymore. I mean, that is, man, that is some faith. But see, Bartimaeus knew something. He knew this promise, even though he probably never articulated it, that without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. See, Bartimaeus knew this. So he tosses away his cloak, he jumps up, he's happy, he's excited, because Jesus has welcomed him in by saying, come up here. And then Jesus says in verse 51, what do you want me to do for you? Interesting, because before they get to this situation, Jesus' disciples, John and James, have come up to Jesus and said, we want you to do whatever it is that we ask of you. We want to sit on your right and on your left in your glory. We want to have this place of prestige amongst the whole universe. We want to be right next to you. We want to be the second man in charge. We want to be the third. We want to be the ranking officer. We want to be the, the, not the president, but we want to be the vice president. Right? We want to be that close. And Jesus says, what do, you, what do you want me to do for you? To those seeking prestige, he treats with the same grace as the blind beggar Bartimaeus. Because with Jesus, grace is afforded to everyone. It's not just to selective individuals. It's to everyone. It's to those who want to abuse Jesus just as much as those who know that Jesus is their only hope. He extends grace to both. His question is still the same to both. What do you want me to do? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, which is a term saying, my rabbi, my teacher, my master, I want to regain my sight. Bartimaeus used to be able to see, but due to some circumstances, whether that's age or a mishap at work, who knows, he lost his sight. So he wants to be able to regain his sight. And so Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Now it's easy when we read the story of Bartimaeus to think, Man, that's awesome. That is the grace of God that he would heal a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. And we know that Bartimaeus was a real individual because the Gospel of Mark says he was the son of Timaeus, saying, if you want to fact-check me on this story, you can go ask his dad, if you want to. And so we know that Bartimaeus had this experience, and it, and it changed his life. He's been healed. He's, he's now been re-given his sight. And it's easy to look at that and say, you know, 
Okay, cool, but I've never struggled with being blind. I've never been a beggar. But in reality, biblically, yeah, we might not have been physically blind, but we have certainly been spiritually blind. We might not have been monetarily poor to the point where we have to beg, but we have definitely been spiritually poor. John, that same John that came up to Jesus and said, we want you to do whatever we want, whatever we ask, as if Jesus was his genie, would later on, after kind of getting a better picture of Jesus, would write these words in Revelation. You say, speaking to the church prophetically towards the end of time, you say, I am rich and, be, and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. See, spiritually, we might think that we're in good terms, but that's because we're blind to the darkness of the sin in us. There's this theologian, his name is James K.A. Smith, and he wrote this book, You Are What You Love. He's got this cultural liturgy series where he talks about worship and how you can tell what somebody really loves by what they worship because we're naturally worshiping individuals. If we're not worshiping Jesus, we're worshiping our job. If we're not worshiping Jesus, we're worshiping our spouse. If we're not worshiping Jesus, we're worshiping our sports team. If we're not worshiping Jesus, we're worshiping our political affiliation. If we're not worshiping Jesus, friends, we're worshiping something else. And so we might be blind to the darkness of the sin and not even realize that we have an idol in our heart. We might not even realize it. We, we might not realize that by having that idol, we technically are paying it to rule our lives. We pay it through our actions, through our time. Isn't it interesting that uh, at the end of time, we would rather spend money to get more time, but when we're younger, we'd rather spend time to get more money. Isn't that interesting? When push comes to shove, we want more time. We want more time with our loved ones. We want more time with our friends. But when we're in the thick of it, we're just like, yeah, I'll spend my time to make, to make more money. Right? We might not be aware of the idols in our hearts. And so we might read Bartimaeus and think, that's not me. When in reality, we might not realize how dark our sin is. I had this experience, it's probably the closest that I've ever come to to being able to relate to blindness. See, my dad is absolutely insane, sorry Paul, um, but he is crazy. He's absolutely crazy. He's constantly coming up with these crazy adventures that he wants to go on, and since I'm his only son, he's always dragging me along, right? So he comes home one day from work, and he says, I've been thinking, and when my dad says I've been thinking, it's troublesome, because he said, let's go scuba diving with some sharks. I said, okay, Dad, that sounds fantastic. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. So we go to this place called Southwest Rocks. And I, I don't know how uh, grainy these pictures are. These were taken from an iPhone underwater, like third-generation iPhone. Um, but what's crazy about them is nurse sharks. These are, these are all nurse sharks. They're docile. They're like the Labradors of the shark world is what we've been informed, or what, what we were told. But when I was underwater... And I see this giant-looking uh, giant thing with these huge teeth, and it's got this giant fish hook hanging out its mouth. I'm thinking, you know, it, look, it doesn't look very docile, because I've seen some labs in my, in my time. They'll lick you to death. This thing, I don't even think it has a tongue. But this, it's not just we're going down and we're scuba diving with sharks. No, it's also a cave dive. And so 
It, well, okay, so it's a tunnel dive, but I, I mean, it's, it's a cave, right? You're in, at one point, you're in a cave. You just have two exits. So as we start to go into this cave, the light starts to fade. And I am so mesmerized by these sharks, I counted 28 of them, I've forgotten to turn on my flashlight as I'm going into this tunnel. And all of a sudden, it gets darker and darker and darker to the point where now I can't see anything. And all of a sudden, I'm surrounded by darkness. I know that on the outside of the cave is sharks. Don't, know what don't even know where the other side of the cave is. I'm just kind of maneuvering around, and anxiety starts to fill up in my heart. What am I going to do? I'm underwater. I can't go straight up because there's the top of the cave. I'm just going to run into it. So either I turn around and go back to where there's sharks or I keep pressing on forward. And it was probably like 30 seconds, but it felt like an eternity being in darkness. So who knows how long Bartimaeus was blind, but it probably felt like an eternity. And then something crazy happened. All of a sudden, this burst of light came into and just started to lighten up everything. And it was my dad with his flashlight. And all of a sudden, I'm no longer fearful, not because things around me still aren't semi-dark, but because there's an ounce of light that's bursting and illuminating everything, and it's from my father. When we start to realize the spiritual darkness that we sit in, it can overtake us, cause us to feel shame and guilt until the light of Jesus bursts into our heart, showing us his grace. Because he is right there. He's right there. We tend to think of him as being farther off than he really is. And the Apostle Paul, as he was traveling after uh, meeting Jesus, a persecutor of Christians, meeting Jesus on the road, being blinded by light, he starts to go around and, and he's traveling throughout cities and he sees that there's this monument in Athens, these men of renown, these colossal intellects, and it's a, an idol that says, to the unknown God. And he says, I'll proclaim to you this unknown God. And he goes on to say this, though he is not far from each one of us. He talks about how God created man from uh, all nations from one man. Goes on to explain the purpose, which is to be in a loving relationship. And then he says this gem, which is that he is not far from each one of us. So when we recognize that we actually are blind beggar Bartimaeus, it can cause us to kind of feel, okay, okay, we're, we're in this by ourselves. But Jesus is actually not far from each one of us. And notice Bartimaeus' response in verse 52. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. Could you imagine all of a sudden being given your sight back? What would you do? If you couldn't see for, let's, let's, let's say, a week, right? You couldn't see for a week. What would be the first thing you'd do once you could see again? Would it be to, to look at your spouse? Would it be to, to go and just look outside and see all the green and, and maybe it'd be go, going to the beach? Maybe it'd be going to the mountains because you wanted to make sure that you saw them one last time in case your eyesight left you again? What is it that you would do? Bartimaeus doesn't go and get a job. He doesn't go and talk to his family. Notice what he does. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. 
See, Jesus' grace, when it grips us, there's nothing else that we would rather do than follow him. When he heals us of our spiritual blindness, when he takes away the idols in our hearts, when he sets us aright and welcomes us into this new community, this alternative community, there's nothing else that we can do than to follow him in all areas of life. It's the only reaction. Only reaction. Because how could we not when he allows us to see? Truly see. That's what grace does. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, was given sight because Jesus is a God that gives grace. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you because, Lord, it's, sometimes it's easy to read through passages in your, in your word and, and just kind of say, you know, this would be really good for my friend or, you know, my family member or this is a word for them but not for us. But, Lord, we are Bartimaeus. Lord, we, we truly don't understand the extensiveness of the sin that might be in our hearts. We might not realize the, the idols that we have set up that we pay with our time or our actions or our words. And so, Lord, we just pray that, that you would present to us the same offering, that you would speak to us today saying, what is it that you want? And that we could respond to you by saying, Lord, take it all. Open our eyes because we want to follow you. Lord, we're living in, in such interesting times. And so... May not only we be following you, but may our mission be to help others follow you as well. But may it start with us in our, heart, in our hearts and in our prayer closets. And may it flow through this community that you are stitching together of faces of grace. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.